Hello and welcome to Get With The Programme with me, Michael Sheridan. This series is all about the TV and digital industry in conversation with the people who work in it. Brought to you in association with the Edinburgh TV Festival and the TV Foundation, who run the talent schemes, the network and ones to watch. There's a bit of a twist in this series, as not only will we be chatting with industry professionals about their careers and how they got their big break, but we'll also be exploring television and digital content's power to be a catalyst for substantial and impactful change in society. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into TV and digital content's place in a post-pandemic world. Oh, and thanks for not skipping intro. Calling all sex education fans, today I'm joined by writer, theatre maker, comedian and performance artist Krishna Ista. Krishna has written an episode of the fourth series of Sex Education, is a writer at Deguta Fabric, a game studio in Denmark, and has even toured their stand-up show Beast. They've worked internationally across Europe, Australia and America, making socially conscious work that speaks to underrepresented experiences of gender, race and sexual politics. Good morning. Oh, actually, no, it's evening for you, isn't it, Krishna? Good night, really. Good night. Good night. Krishna is joining us from uh, New Zealand this morning slash evening. Today, we're going to be chatting through your career and sex education, because I'm a big fan. How are you today slash tonight? Really good. Otherwise, how are you? Because you've got something big going on yes well <laughs> it was big i've got i've got coronavirus at the moment it was my second time round so round two i'm sorry i didn't mean to out you which is why as it's, soon as i said it, i was like something it's to- no it's totally fine because you you definitely gave me room for me not to you know to come out and say it <laughs> so krishna what tv have you been watching recently i've been watching the new euphoria i don't know if i can handle the stress of watching these teenagers <laughs> live their life i've been re-watching real housewives i've been watching landscape which I've loved what have you been watching what have I been watching I just finished Archive 81 which I highly recommend um if you're into like Mm -hmm. sci-fi cults a bit of magic a bit of like period drama it's like everything in one it's really really good this podcast is all about how to get into tv about the tv industry in general television and content's power to make change in the world and have a social impact and all those kinds of things so let's start at the very very start talk to me about your career about how it all began how you got into the creative sphere i feel like at the beginning it was that when i was born my mum called a psychic And the psychic told her that I was going to be an artist. And I feel like that's the real beginning that the psychic (laughs) knew I was going to be someone creative. But in terms of actual professional stuff, I guess I fell into theatre and performance art. So if you weren't seeing that psychic, then you might not have done the theatre stuff. Is it like, is it, was it that impactful? Or do you think you ended up there anyway? (laughs) (laughs) I love that though. That's so cool. But it didn't impact on... Well, it might have. I'm That's not amazing. sure. I guess she might have given me more crayons. Uh, might have done. I don't know. It depends Depends what you believe. So you start doing theatre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of didn't know that theatre really existed. And I didn't... Because I didn't really watch any growing up. And I thought I wanted to be an interior designer because I liked lots of cool visual stuff. Um, but then I went to art school. And in my foundation, yeah, I realised that theatre existed as an actual thing and got really into it. And then fell into performance art and sort of started loving form pushing um 
works that sort of spanned across mediums and then I sort of fell into more traditional theatre and then suddenly fell into TV so they're all a bit random <laughs> I love that that's amazing so what so you were in so in your theatre stuff you were sort of interested in telling stories kind of across different platforms which I guess is kind of I suppose similar to like social media and TV storytelling isn't it like telling things in different mediums across different places yeah. And I think I was very much interested in sort of the mashing of different things together, like, uh, I don't know, circus and stand up comedy or performance art. And yeah, it's sort of I feel like I definitely think about that um, ask, aspect of being able to fit in different forms into one piece of work, even when I'm writing theatre now which I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be doing, but it's definitely what I do. <laughs> I love that. You do you. You do your own thing. That's amazing. And then so talk to me about how the network came about and, and sort of how that sort of helped you, yeah, kind of sculpt your career. At the start of the pandemic, when all of the live theatre performance work got cancelled, I have always loved TV like most people and watched a lot of it, um, but didn't really know how to get into the industry. I didn't know anyone that worked in it. I just didn't know what the jobs were and how to find them. I've done performance for so long and didn't really have a backup. Um, and I had one friend that I'd gotten into script writing and had got a mentor through Screen Skills and recommended uh, Screen Skills to me. And then I saw the network uh, call out for um, the scheme that I did and I applied and then got in and did the amazing week and that was the first year that I was on Zoom because it was literally 2020 um, and it was all virtual then. I think you were the year before me and you were saying I was. that you did yeah yeah and you got the... <laughs> I got lucky I, I was I'm so jealous I know I was on the network yeah literally I was on the network in 2019 so it was like all real life but I'm sure it was still equally amazing it, it really was and I feel like I've made lots of friends from it and definitely a lot of actual networking that has since turned into work it feels like it definitely was the right thing to do for me at the right time that then actually helped me get into the industry that I would have not known how to otherwise what, what do you find, because obviously you've done a lot of theatre and like now you're kind of writing for TV as well. So what do you find is the difference? There's quite a lot of difference. I feel like with theatre stuff, it can constantly change. And I might perform one thing today, but if I felt like it, I can change something for tomorrow. If I thought something was wrong, I can change it for tomorrow. Whereas with TV, it sort of feels like once it's filmed, it's just out there forever and there's no changing and that's a bit scary but also I feel like it's also in terms of um, with theatre it feels like funding works a different way and it sort of feels like in a way more accessible because you could just get in a room with yourself and make a show and you could probably put it on somewhere for a group of friends um whereas with tv it really feels like there's a lot of people that you rely on and it's very much a collaborative experience which theater is as well but there are ways to make it solo work that isn't necessarily collaborative and it just feels like a completely different beast. Do you prefer one or the other? Do you find you love them both equally? Or? I think I love them both equally, but at the moment I feel like I definitely love TV more <laughs> because 
I guess it could be the thing where it's like new and shiny and it's really exciting and I want to do everything. But I think it's also, I find the way that I've worked with the people that I've worked so far that there's a prescribed way to work, especially in terms of like storylining and writing that you sort of do it before you outline, before you write. Whereas with theater, it feels like you make and you write and then you sort of string it together at the end to make sense. And so I think the the TV writing format fits me better at the moment. I've never worked in kind of scripting. So how how does it work in terms of um, from, you know, sort of development to scripting to, to, you know, to filming? What's what's the kind of process for like what's what's that format that that you find really good? I'm sure this is different for different people and I don't have much experience, but from um, mm. Like with sex education, we were in a room together, a group of writers, and we had like a couple of weeks where we sort of like worked out what the season stories were going to be. And then Laurie, who's the showrunner and creator, and um, other people in the team sort of go off and then write out the outlines and then send each writer a very uh, in-detail outline of what is meant to be in your episode. And then each person writes an episode. But it feels like because we were in a room together and we decided all these different things to some extent, it feels like we know what's going on with all of them. And it's decided before you write it. And then it's kind of your job to bring out the emotion and bring out the characterization and bring out all the little nuances that kind of you, the the viewer ends up seeing essentially. Yeah, essentially writing the script from what you get. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really interesting to hear how, yeah, how it kind of, how it comes together really. Um, And then, so you also did a little bit of um, consulting work, right, for Hollyoaks, like before, before all this new. Talk to me a little bit about what that was and and how it worked and how kind of like your identity um, was like, you know, how you kind of brought yourself to that work. Um, So the bits and bobs of consulting stuff that I've done was mostly through uh, an organisation called On Road Media and they've got uh, a specific project called All About Trans that's about uh, creating and helping create better representation of trans people, whether it's in the media or TV or uh, books or anything that people like uh, the public might consume. Um, So it was through that. And yeah, it was very much about making sure that people can come to this particular organization and ask to chat to a group of trans people or queer people or whatever the marginalized group might be that they might not know um, how to represent rightly, but they want to. And so, so the Hollyoaks team were were they were they writing a kind of trans character, and then they were cons- consulting you about how to portray that story authentically. Yeah, I can't remember if the storyline and stuff has come out, so I won't be saying any more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all right. No worries. You gotta you gotta you gotta keep tight lipped to the showbiz secrets, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Because you know what, I, it really, it really kind of baffles me that um, I mean, it seems like this kind of consulting sort of stuff is happening more now. Where when you're representing a community um, on a program, <clears throat> that you do consult kind of the community that you're writing about. But that seems to be like a kind of new, newish thing that mm-hmm. people didn't do before. 
um, which I find really strange because you would have thought that was always the case, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's strange that you would have hoped that was always the case, but I also think in a way it's what people are doing to get out of hiring different sorts of writers and creators. And for them, it's like, oh, we can hire this person that's always done it for us for 40 years that has no experience of any of these identities. But we want to make work about these identities because they're in fashion. But what we're going to do is pay a group of these people a little bit of money so that they can tell us our life ex- their life experience and then we can write it. So in a way, I think it's really shit because it's just a cop-out. But also, I guess it's good that it's happening because we're getting better representations. But I'd rather them actually hiring us to do the work because it's not lack of... Ex- I mean, it is lack of experience because there's not a lot of people that have had the chance to work in the industry. But it is definitely not lack of skill or talent that exists out there. Yes, yeah, I never really thought of it from that perspective that it's... Yeah, it's kind of almost like you're sort of borrowing the experiences when it's useful to you, but then you're not actually letting the the community tell their story themselves. They're sort of telling someone who's then going to write it, which probably isn't that helpful to the community. Yeah, I guess, is I, it? and I guess I think consultation is always good. Like, for example, with sex education, obviously I'm a trans writer, but still we also did consultation with groups of trans people for whatever that specific storyline is so I feel like it's very much I think an important part of making conscious Mm. a socially conscious like tv stories now but also it can't be the only thing that people go to to sort of look for diversity yeah so like consultation is important to consult the community but as long as the writer is also from that community, right? Or is, or you know, has a direct experience. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that everything has to be written by one person that can speak to it, but just that yeah. mm. if people are wanting to consult those communities, then might as well hire a writer from that community that can actually write nuanced experiences in. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it ma- it makes sense, doesn't it? Because there's, there's so many things about different identities and communities that only people within those groups actually understand and actually get so it you know it it does seem kind of the right thing to do like morally as well right and and not only that you know from like a perspective of your audience as well like if it's you know if it directly speaks to a community then it's probably going to get more you know from a from a sort of industry perspective it's going to probably get more audience from that community and, and generally you know get get better ratings I guess as well from that perspective too. Yeah. And I think I also always think in terms of comedy, just because that's what I'm interested in. And I think it also just makes for funnier writing because people know the actual experiences to draw from to be able to write jokes, as opposed to assuming what the jokes might be. Yeah. And I think I think that's been um, a real problem in the past as well with representing um, you know, certain communities. I was watching. Have you seen? Have you seen Disclosure? Yes. The documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was. I was watching that. I was watching that. Um, I watched it for the second time of the week, and yeah, you know, on the, in, in within that they kind of talk about the, the the history of trans representation and and how kind of when it when cinema first began and and you know for many years it was kind of almost written in as a, as a joke like that that community was was written to make people laugh, which is just you know is 
really awful when you look back now, but that was kind of like, you know, the the way that the 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 media was, was portraying that, you know, the the It has. Group. I think what disclosure does a really good job is of is highlighting how misrepresentation of communities in TV and film can actually have a long lasting impact in how the society treats those people and not just society, but also in terms of like legislation and laws and how all these different things actually connected to what people are learning from just watching these TV shows and films. So it's quite important to get things right because <laughs> people are learning from it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember one of the, one of the contributors in that documentary saying uh, something along the lines of, if there was more representation generally, then the sort of occasional yeah. clumsy misrepresentation would be okay because it's not all that you're seeing. But as long as the majority of representations are authentic and fair and right, you know, then it would it would it would be okay, sort of thing. Yeah. The problem is that we only see one sort as opposed to having multitudes. Absolutely, yeah. And like with any community, there's there's nuances and differences and you know like from an intersectional perspective as well you know sort of being an lgbtq plus um person of color is different from being an lgbtq plus person you know who's white or you know if if you're queer and you've got a disability that's a different intersectional experience as well so there's kind of all different nuances within the communities as well so yeah it's definitely you know it's definitely not like one single experience no, i guess is it not at all but we know that. We know, we know that, we know that. Just to sort of jump back into kind of sex education, just because, and not just because I love that show, but I do love that show, but um, <laughs> because I'm sure the audience are really keen. To, so talk to me about the whole thing. How did it come about? Tell me the gossip as much as you're allowed to say. The gossip. <laughs> it, actually, a couple of years ago, this is before I did the network and I knew anything about TV. I'd already been doing theatre stuff. Um, someone from the production company emailed me asking for a writing sample and I didn't know how to write a script, nothing like that. Um, and I sent them, I didn't even know why they were asking me. I sent them like shit, like two pages extract from some crap that made no sense on its own. Like I should have sent them a whole thing, but instead I sent them like two pages cause I didn't really know what, what the, the like what you're meant to do really. Um, and then obviously I never heard back, which is completely fair because it was, it was shit. Um, and then fast forward to the network and alongside that, I was sort of teaching myself to write TV scripts and, um, I was sort of working on this pilot by myself and I, uh, also at the same time applied for this competition for writer performers that, uh, south, of the, south of the River and Sister Pictures were running called Screenshot. Um, and I was, a, I was a finalist and on a finalist list online. And another person from the production company uh, found my name on it and emailed me again to ask if I had a writing sample. And this time I actually did because I'd been teaching myself how to write. 
a pilot, which now that I've done sex ed, I know wasn't great. It wasn't a great pilot, but it's, I think it's good enough. I think it showed that I could write like good dialogue and jokes and stuff like that. So I think it was fine. I mean, Krishna, if it's, if it's, if it's good enough to be, you know, sex education is one of the most popular shows like in the world. So if it's good enough for the writers, I'm sure the pilot that you wrote was, it was all right. <laughs> no, I th- no, I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing, but I think what I've learned since Sex Ed is that I've really learned about story engine and story arc and what the three like acts are. And it's so specific that I didn't know any of that. So I, in that way, I can see how it's lacking. Um, but yeah, and then I sent them the the script and then I had like three interviews i can't remember but i had a series of interviews and in each step i was like i'm not gonna get this this is dream job it's never gonna happen like that it's just not gonna happen and then finally it did which is very exciting so exciting so so you're you're writing one of the episodes of the next series like a full episode four episode which is wild to me dream come Um, true Love that for you. Yeah. Go you, go yeah. you. Celebrate yourself. Thank you. <laughs> I saw your, um, this was like before I was doing this podcast, but I saw your casting call. Um, I think it was either on Instagram or Twitter saying like, oh, we're looking for like sort of trans and non-binary characters. Um, actors for these new two roles sex education and I was like oh that sounds really exciting I posted it online because I was like I know lots of trans people <laughs> it's pretty much everyone I know is trans so I'll pop it online um and it sort of just on Twitter it just blew up which was very good because I feel like it's very easy to say oh we don't know how to find these not just trans actors but also trans actors of color it's often that people say they don't know how to find them. And I feel like that was really just showing how there's literally hundreds of people that want to apply for these things if people would be open to sort of uh, looking further than agencies, I guess, because not often do you find uh, people of marginalised identities that have always sort of been left out of uh, TV and theatre having agents so it it just felt like a good a good way to also show the world that lots of people exist that could act and be in shows if only only they were given the chance sort of thing i'm right in thinking it said something like no experience required or something like that yeah i think that's such an amazing thing like you say to you know especially for a big hit show like that to say that you know we're we're so passionate about having somebody play this role authentically that we don't need them to have experience like that's just amazing I think and I think also lots of people like lots of actors that we love that have acted for years and years didn't really have much experience when they started (laughs) so you've got to start somewhere having having worked at Netflix before I do think that they are particularly good at telling stories authentically and um, you know casting actors in in, in roles you know that that do actually represent that community and and I think that that just shows that we are making progress the fact that like you can have a open casting call to anyone you know that's just brilliant yeah. isn't it yeah it really is so good Think things are changing hopefully yeah hopefully <laughs> hopefully it changes quicker and more and for the better <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely because I think it I think it has been a slow thing right yeah it sort of feels like 
it feels like it was really, really, really slow. And then in the last couple of years, it's really like shot up, even though it feels quite slow and fast at the same time. Because maybe from the outside, it looks fast, but maybe from the inside, it's all that slow steps that has led to the sort of fast incline. But yeah. Yeah, so hopefully once it picks up momentum, it, it carries on. Um, and and how how do you feel, at, like, you know, at the moment and so over the last few years, how how trans and non-binary people are, are currently represented? I think it's definitely changed in the last couple of years, that's for sure. Um, I think there's definitely more and better representation now, but definitely not enough. And it's, I can probably, like, count the good representation on one hand, because there's also still crap being made that is not helpful to anyone. (laughs) But I think it's getting better. There's like trans characters in so many different shows now that are done in interesting Hmm. ways. Like I was watching Euphoria and I I can never remember the Jules. I can never remember names of any characters ever. (laughs) Um, Just such a brilliant trans character because it's rarely about her being trans and it's just she is trans and so some of her aspects of life might be affected by it in certain ways but otherwise it's just she's written as any other teenage character which I really love and I think that's also true for uh Cal and sex education where they're sort of just I mean although in the season just gone they did have a storyline that we're specific to being non-binary, but that that's something we don't get to see otherwise. So I feel like there's definitely, and I think the, the teenage coming-of-age shows are doing them much better than other shows, really. And do you find, do you think that's like quite a common trope that some shows sort of fall into is that is tackling the, or, or looking at the issues of being trans and non-binary as opposed to just having a character that happens to be trans or non-binary? Yeah. I think so. And I I mean, I think there's space for both. But like we were saying earlier, like the person in Disclosure Mm. that said Mm. the problem with having a few representations is that those few representations kind of have to be perfect. And so it would help if we had multiple so that people didn't think that the trans people's lives always revolved around trans things. Because, I mean, that's probably true sometimes, but not always. I barely think about me being trans. And I feel like lots of trans people probably feel the same when other people aren't putting that on them. And so it's sort of just having multitudes would help. But at the moment, I think, yeah, it's definitely people want to be writing trans characters and trans storylines. And it's very much about but what makes them trans as opposed to saying, why can't this character just be cast with a trans actor and what else about this character could be interesting. Do you think there's any common stereotypes that are sort of portrayed about trans and non-binary people, just so people listening can be aware of them, and, you know, just, just to kind of be aware that what those things are to avoid them? Yeah, I mean, I think I can't really say what to avoid because it really depends on how it's done and who is doing mm. them. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely this, this definite... Tropes. I mean, I feel like Disclosure is an amazing documentary to watch that's on Netflix for anyone who wants to know what the actual tropes are and how they affect people. But I yeah, think now, so good. Like, so good. Right now, the stuff that's coming mm. out, at least in the last like five years, it feels like it's the trauma aspect. It's about 
what is traumatic for this trans person. It's always a sob story. Uh, I'm really desperate for a trans comedy. I'm like, that's, I mean, of course, we had uh, Boy Meets Girl uh, on BBC, which I think was a rom-com. I can't, I don't really entirely remember how they um, defined it, but I feel like, yeah, it's always kind of sad. It's a sob story. It's about, I mean, this is also true for queer, I think, identities in general that you're either going to die or get killed or get murdered or uh, end up sad and thrown out of your house. In which, I mean, that is true for some people's experiences. But again, coming back to the same thing where when that's all we see, then the assumption is that is what everyone's life is like. And so I feel like at this point, I'm really ready for, and I think there are shows slowly starting to do that um, where, trans characters and queer characters have fun roles to play like actors get fun roles to play but also they're joyous and funny and light-hearted and it's nice to see that our characters can be all those things too because it's part of being human right and we're three-dimensional like we're not we're not 2d as queer people we're not we're not 2d characters so we can agree we need more queer joy on tv yeah and I think I don't know many, I, I mean, even any queer or trans people that are always sad. No, and, me neither. <laughs> and in spite of yeah. all the, yeah, I feel like in spite of all the things that could have, might have happened in your life, you use that sort of trauma to actually ignite joy and be funny. I feel like all the trans people I know are comedians, which... It's, I mean, it says a lot because you always use <laughs> trauma to make jokes, I guess. But it's just when trans people are depicted as sort of sad characters, it, it just doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, I don't know any of those people. You might be sometimes in your life because mm, everyone Of course, is. yeah. <laughs> but not always. Not always. And I love, I love that idea that you just said about using trauma to find joy there's something really you know human and inspiring about that yeah that 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 really that really Aww. resonated with me that's so nice <laughs> i love that I could crawl that off my wall but yeah so that's but that's really something that's really important to bear in mind though because i'd not thought about queer representation in that way before and that we just want to see some people have fun and 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 also i think like within that kind of queer joy not necessarily always assuming that every queer person you know takes drugs or drinks a lot or because and a load of queer yeah. people that, you know, that, that don't drink or do those things. So, you know, can we have some like joyous queer characters that are just happy and joyful without the, yeah. you know, without, without the drugs yeah, part? That'd, That'd be, be great. great. <laughs> would you say, because I, I think that I sort of got this from watching the Disclosure Doc, would you say that there's a, a sort of lack of representation of, of sort of trans mask on TV? Yeah, I would say, yes, that's probably true. And I feel like off. I don't know about the UK, actually, because there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of trans representation to start with compared to America. (laughs) And there is a few characters in like um, Hollyoaks and EastEnders, and I think they might have all been trans mask characters. But I think often what the UK does is makes all the trans characters white. And so where even if there's like a, a good uh, cross-section representation between trans mass. I mean, not good because we have like four trans characters that I could think of in the history of <laughs> UK TV. Okay, maybe not four, maybe six. Um, they're still always 
white character. So I feel like, yeah, it's, I think, yes, we probably do see more trans femme representation. I mean, I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. If Disclosure says it's true, it's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) They've done better research than I have. (laughs) They know what they're doing. Is there any examples of TV and film, TV and film that's that's got trans and non-binary representation right that you can think of any any shows or characters that do it well yeah well definitely euphoria and sex education which i've already said <laughs> i'm not saying sex education just because i'm working on it i feel like i, I felt <laughs> that, that one does great because i did it <laughs> <laughs> no but even the season before um but also um two shows i've watched that I really love that I think people should be watching and I don't see enough non-queer people talking about it is work in progress um, that was made by um, someone called Abby, whose last name I can't remember, and one of the Wachowski sisters, and it's American. And then there's a second show called Sort Of that has a lead non-binary character of colour and it follows this sort of... um, person character (laughs) don't know what I'm trying to say anymore Uh, and it's Canadian and I think it's really it's made by that person as well and it's really good and everyone should watch it amazing thank you for coming on the podcast Krishna it's been amazing to chat to you and I'll see you soon and that's it for today's episode thank you so much for listening there'll be more episodes coming soon please share with anyone that you think might be interested now roll credits You've been listening to Get With The Programme, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Michael Sheridan, alongside the Edinburgh TV Festival and the TV Foundation's talent schemes. If you'd like to work in TV but don't know where to start, why not check out the Network Talent Scheme? It's helped thousands of people launch a media career, including me. Or, if you're already working in the industry, the Ones to Watch scheme can help you take the next big steps in your career. Head to thetvfestival.com to find out more, or check us out on Instagram and Twitter, that's at thenetwork underscore TV, and at ones to watch underscore TV. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.